Oh, wait, yeah? Yeah. They don't need to do anything else too bad, no. Um, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but here's the thing. The people listening yeah. by way of the Internet can't, won't hear it. Okay. It'll go dead on them. Okay. A couple weeks ago, um, my husband and I went to the bank, and we went in just to do a quick withdrawal to go around and be able to pay the bills. Um, money's been super tight. Family has bailed us out. Thank God for that. But all my husband went into the bank to do was just do a quick withdrawal. And he came out and he says, baby, 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 baby. I said, what? He said, I just talked to somebody and they just gave us $130 and overdraft charges reversed. I had no plan to do that. We had no plan to talk to him about that. He says, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. And again, planting the seed for my husband to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I said, I know what happened. It's answered prayers. God does hear us, and God is good. So I just keep looking for those little moments. But awesome. not only were we blessed that way, but something else had happened. Oh, our clocks had gone out. Our, our Internet and TV had gone out. And I called and got on the phone with Cox and... Um, they went ahead and reset the box and did whatever they needed to do on their end. And I just thought, you know, is there any way, because we've been struggling with this issue for probably about two weeks now. He said, sure, let me take a look. So he looked, he found out that we actually had seven days where we had interrupted or down service, and he credited our bill $48. Amen. So another blessing, all within the same week, and I keep, you know, trying to point those out to my husband, Aaron, and just hope and believe that, Soon he's going to believe. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Amen. God can provide. And, and he does it in different ways. Amen. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5. It says, for though we live in the world. How many of y'all live in the world? Yeah. <laughs> We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. started this a couple weeks ago, talking about taking a stand. And made the statement then, I'll make it again, that the reason the church is so weak spiritually is an improper understanding about spiritual authority. Because a spiritual authority only comes from proper understanding of the authority of Christ, the mission of the church, and the gospel of the kingdom of God. Okay? We, we understand the authority of Christ. I don't think anybody who's a Christian is going to deny that. Uh, I doubt if anyone will deny the mission of the church to go in his name. But the gospel of the kingdom has been muddied. The American gospel has watered it down. And so if we're going to be involved in any kind of warf spiritual warfare, and that's what a spiritual authority is for, you have to understand the reason for the battle. You have to understand what resources you are available for the battle. 
and you have to understand the right or the authority to be engaged in the battle. And so right, we can understand the reason why we're in a spiritual war, spiritual battle, because we know there's one called Satan, and we're going to talk about him in just a minute. But very few Christians are aware of the resources that God has made available, and they have less than even less knowledge of the right that they have to even use those resources and, 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 and expect to be victorious in all of those things. So when, when it comes down to a spiritual authority, spiritual warfare is a simple issue of authority. I could go back to the parable. I won't waste the time to do it, but I'm not saying waste the time, but I won't spend the time doing it of the, the centurion that came to Jesus and said, my servant is sick. And, and he said, he was going to get ready to go with them. And he says, I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. I give orders and men do what I tell them to do. You speak the word only and it shall be done. And Jesus said, no great, great faith, no greater faith have I seen anywhere in Israel than I have seen right here. And it was with a, with a centurion. And it wasn't a religious leader or, or scribe. He understood authority. And so spiritual warfare boils down to the simple issue of, of, of understanding authority. And authority, biblically-wise, is the right to use power, to take action, to issue commands, and to respond in obedience, okay? A delegated authority. For example, when before Adam was created... Lucifer, who is now known as Satan in the Bible, was a high-ranking angel of great eminence and of great power. God created him with keen intellect and incredible authority and a position that was right next to the very throne of God. But his heart was lifted up with pride as he desired to be worshipped as God was only to be worshipped. And we know that from Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 15. And when Satan fell, he took with him heavenly beings. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, Revelation 12 and 9, all of those things talk about it. And when these other heavenly beings, these other angels of designated ranks, because we know there are designated ranks in heaven. We know that there are cherubims, there are seraphims, there are the, uh, the, the four beings that are around the throne. We, there, are, there are designated ranks. We know that there are archangels. That means there are common, if I can say common, common angels. There is a government in, in heaven. And so there were those who left in, in rebellion against God and tried to overthrow God. And so they too were angels that, and angelic beings that were used to governmental authority. And so when they fell from heaven, Satan naturally assigned to them positions of authority within his kingdom of darkness. And after all the turmoil and rebellion in heaven, God then decides to create Adam and gave him authority that Lucifer once had on earth. The Bible says that he was the anointed cherub that covered or ruled the earth. And so now he creates man in his own image. God creates man in his own image. And, and we read this in Genesis 1 and 26. It says, and then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, 
and over all the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so Adam now has dominion over the earth, the sky, the land, and the sea. And he, but he surrendered that authority to Satan when he rebelled against God and he ate the fruit. And the word of God came to earth in the form of man, the person of Jesus Christ, and Christ, through his redemption plan, through his death, his burial, his resurrection again, he restored that authority back to mankind, and he did it through his church. And that is the basis of our authority in spiritual warfare, okay? And, and when I say spiritual warfare, I'm talking about declarations, decrees, and prayer. Okay, I'm going to just lump them all together. Matthew 28, 18, and 19. And Jesus came and spoke to them, the disciples, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. This is the key that we need to understand this. Was there ever a time that Jesus did not have authority in heaven? No. So the key here that he's trying to convey is, now all authority has been given to me on, in heaven and on earth. This is the point he's, point he's, he's going. He's saying, go therefore. Where did he send them? He didn't send them to heaven. He sent them to, throughout the earth, okay? And so Satan wants that authority back. He, he, from that moment on, the struggle for authority began all over again, except this time it wasn't between Satan and God. It's now between Satan and God's church, God's people, okay? And so um, uh, God had given the earth back to mankind to subdue and have authority over it, and so we are in an all-out battle, whether we believe it or not, and we have the authority in the name of Christ to represent him and do the things of the kingdom of God here on earth. There are three important things that I want us to note tonight. And the first one is that God changed Lucifer's name. I don't, that's not a mistake. There's a purpose in that. Because he was no longer known by his heavenly name. His heavenly name was Lucifer. Now, we, we hear it, and we think that sounds evil, whatever, but that was his name in heaven. And Revelation 12 and 9 now calls him serpent, dragon, devil, Satan, and deceiver. He calls them all those things. I mean, all those names that you see right there, and what you need to understand about those names right there, those names are descriptive names to the one who is probably the second in the Godhead. And what is it that they describe? They describe his nature. They describe his nature. He's a serpent. He's a dragon. He's a devil. He's Satan. He's a deceiver. So God labels him now with names that mimic his nature. Okay? So God changed his name. The second thing that we need to understand is that God changed his position. Whereas before, most scholars will tell you that he held the highest position in heaven next to God. In fact, I have a whole teaching on the origin of Satan and, and everything that the Bible says about him prior to his fall and then after his fall. And, and 
and it's understood that the, the cherubs, they, they uphold the very throne of God, but there's a picture there in Scripture that Satan was like the overcovering over God, if I can put it that way. In other words, he, he wasn't underneath supporting the throne. He was over. He was, he was like the covering around. I, I, I don't want to go into a lot of detail without teaching the lesson. But the point is, he was in the highest position that there could be besides God himself. Okay, And he was removed out of that position of authority in his rebellion. And he still has access to God's heaven, but only, as the Bible says, as the accuser of the brethren. He, he's not welcome to sit at the table, so to speak. He can come in and accuse, but how many of you are glad now that the Bible says that Jesus, our high priest, sits on the right hand of the Father? And so when Satan comes and tries to accuse you, our high priest is there saying, no, I, that, my blood has covered them. Your accusations are dead. I mean, th stop and think about that, okay? And that's, that's all he is. So God changed his name. God changed his position. And the third thing is, but Satan still desires to replace God. Now, he's not going to overthrow God. He knows that. He, but what he does still want is he still wants to receive worship. Why did he say, I will ascend to the heaven and I will put my throne above God's and I will do this and I will do this? And what was it he was wanting? He was wanting the worship that was ascending to God. He was in the place to see it more than anyone else, the worship that was in heaven, and he wanted that. So he said, I'm going to ascend my throne above God because I want that worship, okay? So he still wants that worship. And you and I were created to give worship to God, right? We were created for that. I mean, we were created in his image and likeness. And, and, and Revelation tells us, Revelation 4 says, and, and we were created that we might worship, give worship to him. And so his motive is exposed. He still wants worship. In fact, if I had time, in Bible prophecy, I teach on this. I said the mark of the beast, when that time comes and the Antichrist comes, he declares himself to be God and he demands that everyone worship him. And, that, and, and the only way that you can get the mark to be able to buy and sell is that you choose to willingly worship him and declare him as God. Why is he going to do what he's doing? Because his end run is he wants to be worshipped. He's going to find a way to get worship. And so in Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, the last part of verse 7 and verse 8, it says, if you worship me, remember the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness? If you worship me, all this will be yours. And I've heard preachers say he was a liar because it wasn't his to give. It was his to give because Adam had surrendered all the authority on earth. And he had, in doing so, Satan had usurped it and, and received it back. And, and so he says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this. Now, he's a liar. He wouldn't have done it. But he had the right to do that. And he, what did Jesus say? It is written, worship the Lord God and serve him only. The object of worship has, has, has become the motivation for the conflict between darkness and the church on earth. 
He wants to be worshipped. It's his original desire, and he has not changed. He, he has the power today because God gave him the realm or the abilities that he has today. I want you to stop and think about this. He still operates. Jesus said he called him the prince of the power of the air. He still operates in that, in that realm. But Revelation says there's coming a day when he's going, to be, he's going to lose that position and he's going to be cast down to the earth. And the Bible says, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, for Satan is now cast down to the earth. In other words, he's now confined to the earth. He's, he's lost his position once and he's fallen into the second heaven. And now he's going to lose his position again and be confined to the earth. And that's why he says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. He said he's now lost his position again. Imagine how angry he was when he was thrown out of heaven. Imagine when he's, getting, he's going to be thrown out again and now cast down to the earth, the earth that he once had control of. Okay? I want you to kind of see all this in your mind. So he still holds power in a certain realm, but Satan's power does not have the authority to stop what God has commanded the church to do. Satan retains the power of deception and seduction to cause us to think he has authority, but he doesn't. It's that old concept of a bully who can bully everybody around until someone stands up to the bully. Right? What does the Bible say? That for your enemy goes about but what? As a roaring lion. Doesn't say he is. He goes about roaring, the roar, and people are terrified. I'm talking about in the spiritual realm. He has the power to, to deceive. He has the power to bring seduction and cause people to think that he has authority. And this is the area that many Christians fail to recognize in the proper way. The victory of Christ at the cross has escaped so many believers. They have failed to understand. They look forward to the time when Jesus will ultimately defeat the devil. And yet the New Testament affirms that Christ, when he cried from the cross and said, it is finished, that was the provisional end of Satan's kingdom. And just as with every aspect of the cross, victory over Satan remains only so far as we appropriate it. In other words, his victory over us only is all, can only happen if we allow it to take place. That's the only way. And most Christians have their focus on the future, but they, de they, they deny the prevailing victory that God has already given us today. Paul reveals that as Christ's ascension, Jesus paused at Satan's headquarters to strip him of rank and position, authority, and power. And I think Tracy, that, didn't that, wasn't that the discussion that y'all and Roger Myers, was it Roger, Brother Roger talked about it? This, this, is where, this is where this comes from. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, look what it says. He's talking about Jesus. And having spoiled principalities and powers... He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Um, what, what, is it what, what did Paul write to the church in Ephesus? He said, 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. What is that? Principalities or princes, and, 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 right? Okay, principalities and powers and spirit. In other words, regimented powers, regimented government is where our battle is. And so when he wrote to the church in Colossia, he's saying, having spoiled principalities, and we're going to break that down in just a minute, and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. The NIV says it this way, and having disarmed the powers of authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, the word spoiled in the Greek means to divest wholly or to despoil. In other words, to, to take away. It is a military term that is only used, this is the only use of it in all of the New Testament. Okay, you have to understand what it is. It is a military term, and it's, Paul doesn't use it any other place. No, it's not mentioned any other place, but what he's saying is he has spoiled principalities. In other words, he has disarmed powers and authorities, and he's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Paul uses these words, in a very specific way. Remember, Paul was a very intelligent person. He understood not only the, the Hebrew culture, he understood Roman culture and everything about that. And he was familiar with the ways of the Roman army. And history shows that when a Roman general finally conquered his foe in battle, especially if it had been a long and especially hard-fought battle, once the official documents had been signed, and it was formal. It was done in a formal, full-dress affair with the two leaders of the two armies facing each other in the presence of their respective armies, okay? So imagine General A and his army on this side and General B and his army on this side, okay? And let's say General A has won, and the time has come to admit defeat, and so these two generals would be in full array of all their ribbons and medals and everything else. And they would be standing facing each other with their armies behind them watching what was going on. And after the documents of surrender would be signed, the conquering general, this is, this is Roman tradition, this is what would happen, would step up to the defeated general who would stand at rigid attention in his full dress uniform with all his insignias and medals and badges and other symbols of position and authority that pertain to his position. And systematically, this is the thing we need to understand because this is what the scripture is talking about. He disarmed them systematically. This is the way it would be done. That, that the, the conquering general would walk up to the general who had been defeated and he would, there would be the beating of drums. You know, that ominous sound just kind of in the background. And that general would walk up and with every symbol of power 
every sash, every medal, whatever it was, that Roman general would announce. He would rip them off one by one. He wouldn't just, just rip them off. He would systematically, because with each one was another level of humiliation. Y'all picturing this? You seeing this? This is what Paul's talking about. And, and what that general would say, basically would say is now all of these, and they would lay them out on a table. And he would say, now say, he would say this to the, that general, and he would say it to all of his, his army and all of his army. And he would say, now all of these are mine by right of conquest. And what you were, I now am. The titles you held, I now hold. Your armies will obey me, and your nation will be subject to me forever under the rule of Rome. That's what they would do. And then history tells us in that, the, that so often in Roman procession, they would lead that general stripped of everything in humiliation before his troops, and they would march them all the way back to Rome. I mean, we're talking days and weeks sometimes until they entered the city and the trumpets would blare and let everybody know and Caesar would have been let known that his conquering general was victorious and was now coming forth and he would come and he would, he would and behind him would be all of this, this, this general and, and all of his soldiers conquered, overcome. And he would come, this, this general probably riding a chariot would be coming into the city and he would have all those ribbons and he would have all those things and he would present them to Caesar. That's what history shows. And this is what Paul is talking about there. And it, so it's with this full understanding of this ceremony that Paul declares this about Christ's ascension into heaven. He's saying that Christ divested Satan of every position, every vestige of power before his, that, that God had ever given him before his expulsion from heaven. And so that scene, just think about it. Jesus pausing in his ascension through the satanic kingdom to call and for a full dress parade and demanded that Satan stand at attention before him. And he stepped up to him with a voice that rang clear into the corridors of hell. And Revelation 12 and 10 says it this way. He's now he's come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And reaching up to the right shoulder, so to speak, of the ornament of Satan's army, if you can think about it, Jesus would have stripped it off and he would have said, he said, you were created Lucifer, which means day star or morning star. He said, forever I strip you from that title and I shall be known as the bright and morning star. Because he took that title away from him. 
and then transferring over to his other shoulder, Jesus reaches for the epaulette and jerks it off. And he says, you held the position of the anointed cherub. In Ezekiel 28 and 14, he says, but I now stand as the anointed one. And then turning to his attending angel, Jesus directed that these epaulets be placed in full display, in full sight of all the entire forces of hell, and fixing his fingers maybe on the gold braid. I'm, I, I'm being facetious to a point, but you understand what I'm saying. He reached up there in that gold braid, and he stripped it off. And he said, you have functioned as the tempter. He said, but now I will be a guide to all of mankind. You have tempted mankind. I will be the guide for mankind. And then focusing on one of his medals, Jesus would have stripped it off his uniform with authority now. It wasn't some meager thing like, I, I think I'll take that, you know. He'd rip it off with authority. He said, I saw you as lightning falling from heaven, but men shall see me as the light that shines from the east to the west. And then we can go down the list. You were the first creature of God's creation in which music was expressed. But from now on, according to Hebrews 2 and 12, and that I will be in the midst of the church and there will be, I will sing praise and they will sing praise. And he, said, he goes on, he says, you were an effective hinderer, the scripture says, but I will be a helper. You have been an old serpent, but I was the serpent that was lifted up for mankind's healing. Remember Jesus said, unless I be lifted up, then all men will be drawn unto me. Remember in the Moses in the, in the wilderness, they fixed the bronze serpent, and he said he lifted up, and those who would lift it, look towards it would be healed. He, that's what he was saying, and he goes on. He said, you have been known as the adversary, but from now on I shall be known as the advocate. You have functioned as an angel of light, but I am the light of the world. You have been the accuser of the brethren, but I will be the counselor. That's what he says. And with this, Jesus paused and he placed all of these strip medals, everything that there was, and, and, and that he took off this, this defeated foe and he spread them out on the table, so to speak. And both the armies of heaven and the armies of hell watched as Jesus reached for the five stars on the uniform of, of Satan. And he strips it off and he says, you were once known as the prince of the world. He said, but I am the prince of peace and the savior of the world. I am the prince of life. I am the king of kings. I am the Lord of lords. And with that declaration, Jesus could instruct couldn't, couldn't, I'm thinking all of heaven could not, imagine heaven, God's army watching this, God's heaven watching all of this. I mean, you got to know that they're about to bust on the inside, right? And Revelation 19 and 13 says, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God for true and righteous are his judgments. And waiting for this demonstration to end, Jesus looked Satan coldly in the eyes and without blinking an eyelid, he reached for the collar. I was raised in a military family and you always had the insignia of your rank on your collar. 
I remember when my dad received his lieutenant bars. I remember when he received his captain bars and his major bars, his lieutenant colonel, and then his full bird for colonel. And I remember each time when he would take off those old ones and put the new ones on, how proud I was as, as his son, you know, to see my dad accomplish these things. Because you never knew what a person's rank was, but there would be. There it would. It was, on, it was right there on the collar. And so I can, I, can, I can picture this where Jesus reached for the stars on, on the collar. And he says to him, he said, you were created as one of the sons of God. That's what Job 1 and 6 says. But I am the son of God. There's a great difference there. And then... He says, you have lost everything my father gave to you. These are now my possessions. You are, must be obedient to me. Your armies must obey me. And stripped and humiliated and divested of authority, Satan had to remain at attention through this whole thing while Jesus did this in full sight of all of the powers of hell. And in, in the relieved voice of a conqueror, Jesus tells them, your leader is defeated. Your general is defeated. All his power has been stripped from him. His authority has been transferred back to me and his kingdoms are now my kingdoms. What, what's he talking about? Adam lost the authority of the kingdom on earth. Who'd he lose it to? Satan, because he, he deceived him. He, was, he, he seduced him. And now Jesus says, now all that was your master's is now mine. It's now under my rule and my authority. And then basically he says, you will henceforth be under the rule of the heavenly kingdom. That bounds and limits will be set upon your activities from what you will not dare go beyond. And failure to comply means you will have to deal with me. I am your God. You're going to obey me. And at the sound of his proclamation, hell's lesions that were once proud and powerful gave way to fear that they cowed their heads and they, they turned in dismay in gathering all the remnants, all the tattered part, all the awards, everything that's, that Satan had that was his authority. Jesus completed his ascension to the Father where he put them on display in heaven for his Father and all the inhabitants to see. And every angel in the eternal abode knows that Satan has been stripped of his authority. Both heaven and hell know that Satan has been stripped of his authority. He's a figurehead. He's a puppet. He's in exile. It's only mankind that, has, that seems unaware that he has no teeth. He is a roaring lion, but he has no bite. He has no teeth. They've been pulled by the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Satan's only power over a Christian is the power 
of persuasion. I'm telling you. This was all that was needed in the Garden of Eden. To con men into doing what? Departing from God's control. He was, Adam was in charge. And he sold it for a bite of a piece of fruit. Where, where else did we hear that in Scripture? Do what? Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of oatmeal <laughs> or whatever, right? He, he, the persuasion that Satan has is only as powerful as we allow it to be. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God said? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Has God said? And that's what he still does. He comes to you and comes to me, and he knows when to come. He knows when to come, doesn't he? Come on, folks. He knows when to come. He knows when to come knocking on your door. He knows when you're down. He knows when you're tired. He knows when you're overextended. He knows when you're disappointed. He knows when you're frustrated. He knows, boy, and he likes to come, and he likes to roar, and he wants to see us cower. But this is the point. This is the thing. We have to understand. It doesn't matter how we feel. We have authority in Jesus' name. We don't have to be, we, you know, years, for years we were involved with people in deliverance ministry who were, uh, uh, you know, in casting out devils. And, I've, and that's real. That is real stuff. Believe me. Seen some things that if we told you hair on my head that don't exist would stand up. I'm telling you, it just, it just would. But I've seen, you know what they do? They're screaming and yelling at devils. Demons inside are screaming and yelling. I never saw Jesus scream and yell. You know why? Because he spoke with authority. He spoke with authority. I'm convinced that a lot of times Christians get loud in their worship and in their praying and in their taking a stand to try and convince themselves. Now, I just, I'm going to throw this out there for you to think about it. And you say, well, Pastor, you get loud. Yeah, I get loud. I get excited. I get animated, whatever, right? But I'm telling you, when we understand this whole concept, that this is not a future event, Jesus has already done this. And then he says to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go in my name. The go in my name is the transferring or the applying of that authority to us. What does he say? Go in my name and cast out devils. 
heal the sick in my name. Do these things in my name. He says, go in my name. And we say, how can we do that? I don't feel like I can do that. It's not about feeling. It's understanding this. If you understand that Jesus stripped Satan of all of this and let all of the powers of darkness know, the Bible says that even at the name of Jesus, demons tremble. They, they already know. And it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 40 years or 40 minutes. The name of Jesus is the power, the key to our authority in Christ. Understanding that position. And we need to pray that the church understands, will pause to examine that display case of containing the trophies and the ribbons and the all of those things that Christ separated from Satan. And when we realize that, then we realize it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter who I, who I see myself as. I, it's who I am in Christ. It's who Christ is in me. For so long, the emphasis has been who we are in Christ. And I think it needs to be flipped back around. It's who Christ is in us. He, he does not change. Come on now. He does not change. Is, Christ, is Jesus Christ the same Jesus Christ that he's always been? Yes. Is the same Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit? Yes. The Bible says the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, in us. The same Spirit. So it's the same Spirit. It's the same Christ, the same authority that Jesus gave the twelve when he sent them out. In fact, when he sent them out, he gave that authority. When he spoke that authority, it wasn't just twelve. But today's theologians and ministers from coming out of the cemeteries, I mean seminaries, they, they will tell you, they will tell you that you don't have that right. First of all, they'll tell you the devil's not real. It's, it's just kind of an object lesson for us out there. But they'll tell you that you don't have any authority, you don't have any rights, and, and they'll tell you that casting out devils is not real. I have a pastor friend, his denomination does not even believe in that thing, and yet he's casting out devils almost every day of the week. I told him, I said, you cast out more devils than most Pentecostal, full gospel, spirit-filled preachers that I know. Because most of most of the ones I know of this day and age don't even believe in that. They'll say, well, well, you're a Christian. The, the devil can't bother you. Uh, hello. Yes, you can. Yeah, there, and, there's, and we're not going to get into that. That's a whole different series of teaching. The point is that we need to understand that our authority is understanding his authority. And if, as long as we're under him then we have that authority. The problem comes, what? When we decide to step out from under his authority, and how do we do that? Anyone? In rebellion, right? You can't play in the devil's playground and then expect you're going to cast out devils too. Just ain't going to happen. 
Ain't that way? But our God is an awesome God. I said our God is an awesome God. And he has given us the authority to act in his name. You say, well, pastor, I've prayed at times and I've not seen things happen. The Bible says we're to go and do these things in his name. It's up to God from that point on. If we don't go and we don't lay hands on the sick, if we don't cast out, if we don't do those things, we'll never see those things happen. But the authority of it all happens because we go in his name. It's not who I am, you know, it's who he is. And when we understand authority, as that centurion said, I'm a man in authority and under authority. And when I give orders to my soldiers, they understand it better be done or there's going to be consequences thereof. So Satan already knows that. Satan's army already knows that Jesus is the victor. And he, they know that the church is the victor, but the church is not so convinced. And that's where, we need, that's where we are today. We're coming into an age and a time and a place where the church has got to turn its mindset and understand that instead of being on the defense all the time, you know, I hear people talking about the shield of faith, the shield of faith, the shield of faith. Get the sword of the spirit out and, and, and turn that thing because it, the shield is, is to protect you from the attack. But the sword is to bring it on the offensive. And you're never going to turn it on the offensive if you think Satan's more powerful than you. I'm just telling you, there's not a, there's, Satan himself is not more powerful than, the, than a baby Christian. If a baby Christian understands this simple principle, that authority in spiritual warfare comes from understanding who Christ is, what he's done, and what he's given to us. And we need to take a stand. Take a stand in your own life. Take a stand in your family's life. Take a stand in your finances. Take a stand in your neighborhood. Take a stand in your children's school. Take a stand wherever it is and begin to speak and begin to declare and begin to decree in the name of Jesus. I can't tell you how many, how many years <coughs> driving down Johnson Street this way, that building down the road that used to be a gentleman's club, they called it, I would curse that thing every time I'd drive by it. It offended me. I said, God, I curse that vile place in the name of Jesus. Let it close, 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 let it close. And year after year after year, and, and, and you know what? I never, I never lost heart. I never lost faith in it. But there were times I was saying, God! <laughs> Sometimes I just like, in Jesus' name, close that thing. I, I mean, I didn't have the authority to do it. And then one day, there it was in the news. It was shut down. I was like, yeah! You know? You know? Come on now. Some, sometimes that victory, the victory happens in the spiritual realm, but the manifestation sometimes takes a while before we see it. Come on now. 
When Jesus cursed the fig tree, did it wither and die? No, it's not. I mean, when he cursed it, did it just go shh? No. The next day, as they were coming by, the, the Bible says the disciples took note of the fig tree that it was now withered and dried up. When did it die? When he spoke to it. What was happening in the root system? Well, it couldn't be seen. It was withering and dying and curling up, couldn't draw anything. And in the heat there in Palestine, in Jerusalem, in, in Israel, in that part of the world, the heat and that, that late spring, because it was like, remember he came to the fig tree and he saw leaves, but there were no figs on it yet? The scripture says in one of the gospels, because it wasn't time for figs, but there are certain leaves that come out that are, are like what they, they call like fake leaves. They'll make you think there's figs on, it's, but it's not time yet. And Jesus looked at it and and he said, it's just like the religious world. They're fake too. They put on all the pomp and circumstance and make you think it's real. But he cursed it. And nobody sat there and go, look, it's shriveling. <laughs> but it was the next day when it came by. But when did it die? It died when he spoke that word. But underneath the surface, something was taking place. And it wasn't manifest until the next day when the disciples came by. And they were shocked. Look, it's it's all shriveled and died up. We have the same authority to speak under the, unto your fig tree, whatever it may be, and you may not see it right away, but understand there's something happening in, in, the, in, the underground, in the realm that you can't see, and you don't know what's happening. You can't see it, and you can't understand it, but it's taking place. It's taking place, and you cannot lose faith over that because God is an awesome God. And he has given you that authority to operate on his behalf here on earth. Here on earth. I was just thinking this afternoon when I was thinking about all this, I said, God, you're just so awesome. And I was reminded of that old, I think it was a Rich Mullins song about our God is an awesome God. And I thought that would be a great way to close out today. But before we do that, I, I just wonder if there's any of you that you're going through a situation, going through a circumstance, and you, we, you just need to take a moment and speak in authority against that situation. I want you to take a moment. Can we do that? Can we, if you want, you can stand. You know, you've been sitting a while. If you don't want to stand, that's fine, that's fine. But is there a situation? Then, then you speak. You know, God gave me that word, I think it was a week ago Sunday, coming down the aisle, that he said he was saying it was time for his church, his people to stand up and draw a line. It was time for his people to, to speak to the mountains. It was his time, it was time for his people to do that. So right where you're at right now. Why don't you take a moment and understanding what Christ has already done, already done, 
and already given to you and already entrusted you. He's given you the keys to the kingdom and his name is powerful. His name is above every name, every situation. You speak against in Jesus' name. I take authority over whatever it is and you speak it out right now and know and call it to be. You call it and declare it to be. You decree it to be to come to pass in the name of Jesus for the glory of his name and of his kingdom right now. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the privilege to use the name of your son and represent you here on earth. Glory and honor and praise be unto you forever. Devil, you've been exposed. You are a lying devil. That's all you are. You have no power here because your persuasion will not work. Your intimidation is dead in the water. It's, it, it will not float here. It's not going to happen because we choose instead to believe this word. It is sure and it is solid. God, we give you praise tonight. We give you glory and honor because you are an awesome God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can you give me some sound there, Justin?